It's December 2010, and for the past week, things have been heating up for folks playing a regional lottery game called the Hot Lotto. It's kind of like the Powerball, just not as big. Each ticket has five numbers between 1 and 39, plus a sixth number between 1 and 19 that's known as the Hot Ball. Most players, they just let the computer draw their digits at random. Others use the play slip to pick their favorites. The prize for getting the first five numbers right was 10 grand. But if your ticket included that magic six number, that's where the real money was. And the more people that buy a ticket, the higher the jackpot. And this time, the jackpot had hit a massive $16.5 million. Now, I can think of a lot of things that I could do with that kind of money. And just a few days before New Year's, the Multi-State Lottery Association announced that someone had bought the winning ticket with all six numbers. All the association knew was that the ticket had been purchased from a convenience store in Des Moines, Iowa, where the Hot Lotto headquarters were based. And I always thought, if I ever won the lottery, I'd want to accept it anonymously because you win all that money, all of a sudden, you start to get new cousins and new friends that you never met. But the state of Iowa legally requires lottery ticket holders to come forward publicly to claim their prize. Terry Rich, the then director of the Iowa Lottery, was ready for the winner to reveal themselves. During that time, we as the lottery and I as the lottery head got on TV and said, hey, somebody's won this. But no one came forward. Weeks passed and then a month, then two and nothing. Whoever had won wasn't speaking up. It's not unusual because you have 12 months to claim a jackpot in a uh, lotto game like Hot Lotto. The winner had exactly a year to claim the prize before it was forfeited. And as time went on, the Iowa Lottery started to get a lot of calls from people with outlandish claims about what happened to their ticket. Hey, uh, I think that was my ticket. I showed it to the clerk, and I'm sure that clerk stole it. Hey, I lost the ticket. I'm sure that was mine. I, I purchased tickets at that store. Some of these calls they got, they're pretty crazy. Hey, if my husband, a truck driver, comes in and gets that ticket, first you call the police, then you call me. Because I get half that money because I married him and he left me to do some shady things, sure. But listen, that's my money too. See, Terry and his team, they weren't new to this. They knew better. There are roughly 30 different security features on a lottery ticket. Most importantly, the serial number. If you have the winning ticket, you should also have this number. Terry had looked over the security tape for the convenience store where the winning ticket was purchased. In the video, the guy buying the ticket was dressed in all black. He's wearing a baseball cap and a hoodie, so it's difficult to see his face. This guy approached the clerk with a play slip so he could pick his own numbers. So if a female called and said, I bought it, nah, you didn't buy it. Or uh, we'd get a call and we'd say, what's the serial number? I'm, uh, I don't know. Well, no ticket, no payout. The owner of this prize-winning ticket was still a mystery, and the clock was ticking. Until we got the fateful call, which happened 11 months, remember 12 months at the time that that ticket expires, we got a call from a lawyer in Quebec City, Canada. He said, hey, I'm Philip Johnston. So the Iowa Lottery employee who answered the phone immediately started asking some key questions. Well, what serial number do you have? Gave him the serial number. But then... This lawyer, Philip Johnston, he said something a little weird. 
And then he said, hey, I'm kind of old. I can't get out, so I'm just going to send you the ticket. You send me the $16.5 million. Oh, yeah, sure. Let me just get my briefcase full of unmarked bills and put them in the mail. Nah, bruh, not going to happen, Philip. So the lottery employee started to get a little suspicious and wanted to test whether this guy was legit. I remember, we have the video and audio, so a logical question for them to ask was, what were you wearing? And he said, oh, yeah, I, I bought it there, and uh, I was wearing my uh, plaid pants and a sports coat. Well, that wasn't true. Whoever purchased the winning ticket definitely didn't look like the preppy old dude who just left the country club. Ding, ding, ding. Nobody, this is fraud, because we knew it was a black hoodie when we, when we saw the tape. Every year, millions of Americans buy a lottery ticket. I bought a few. You may have as well. And for most of us, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that could change everything. But what if you could beat the odds? What if there was a way to cheat the system and the likelihood of getting caught was slim to none? For millions of dollars, would you do it? I'm Alzo Slade, and this is Cheat. The show where we ask, is it ever okay to break the rules? This week, the biggest lottery scam in U.S. history. When someone wins a jackpot this size, $16.5 million, it's not unusual for them to check things through with a lawyer or a financial advisor. It's actually something the lottery industry encourages. So while it wasn't too weird to wait months to hear from the winner, Terry thought something was definitely off about this guy. So our security officer said, we need to contact our state Department of Criminal Investigation. We're going to have to arrest this guy. Hmm. Pretty quickly, Philip Johnston changes his story. He admits that he's not the ticket holder, but it does belong to his client, who doesn't want the publicity. And the lottery officials are like, no dice. Your client has got to come forward and claim it himself. Those are the rules. And now, time is really running out. With less than an hour and a half before the ticket expires, two more lawyers show up at the Iowa Lottery headquarters. And these guys have the winning ticket in hand. Terry Rich calls a press conference. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the winning ticket, but we don't have the person nor all of the background information about this winning ticket. So with that, we're very excited to have this ticket. We're very excited to be able to now uh, do the security protocols. Can you hold it? You sure can. Let's hold it. Let me hold it. Sure. Come on up. I'll hold it for a second. What Terry didn't realize is that all those cameras got a clear shot of the ticket, which had all the security features. And now that the ticket's serial number had been broadcast to the public, well, all those prank calls, they started to flood back in. And so we started getting calls back from the people who said, well, I couldn't remember the serial number, but I know it now. Well, of course you did. It was on the front page of the paper, buddy. So we had all this going on. But we had this, we had this intriguing thing of this guy from New York now, through lawyers in Des Moines, said, that's my ticket and I like it. So we knew he had a connection there. And when he claimed it, he wanted to claim it with a trust from Belize. At this point, everything seems fishy. This anonymous guy who bought a hot lotto ticket in Iowa has multiple lawyers in different countries and wants to claim the money to an offshore account. 
Terry Rich is pretty sure this is a case of fraud, but right now, the dots aren't connecting. Three weeks later, Terry gets a call from one of the New York lawyers who says his client wants to withdraw their claim. Now that's really scary. I think even Bill Gates would go after and want the $16.5 million, but they claim they wouldn't tell us who bought the ticket, so we knew something was wrong. So now, Terry and his team hold a second press conference explaining the situation. The question is, what the hell? What's going on here? You know, so something From the beginning, we knew this was a unique case, and we set up, as we do with every lottery claim, certain security protocols that we do to be able to award the prizes. And from the beginning, uh, we had not received the information that uh, we had requested. Unfortunately for Terry, this chapter had not come to a close. In fact, this story is only beginning. Right in the middle of that press conference, a detective chief inspector comes over Terry's shoulder and hands him a piece of paper. And I'm thinking, oh my God, am I being arrested? But the paper said we're opening the investigation. Instead of paying out the money, it's distributed back to the 21 different state lotteries that contributed. They then start refunding everyone who purchased a hot lotto ticket. At the same time, these sneaky lawyers in both Canada and New York, well, they got some explaining to do. Finally, between the Royal Canadian Police and the New York Police, we were allowed to go in and talk to both. And so they said, hey, we got this ticket from a lawyer in Houston, Texas, and his client, we think's name is Robert Rhodes. In an interview, Philip Johnston, the lawyer from Canada, pointed the DCI agent towards a businessman named Robert Rhodes. The Iowa investigators took a trip to Texas, but they couldn't track him down. So who was this mysterious Robert Rhodes? Is this winning lottery ticket really his? And why did he want the money and then back out? Well, that's after the break. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared in Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios. Wherever you get your podcasts. So the lawyers have been given the name Robert Rhodes. Whoever he is, he's trying to keep his identity secret. Terry's pretty sure that this is fraud, but he needs to prove it. And that's where the authorities step in. Between the attorney general's office and the governor's, they said, let's go to the ends of the earth and figure this out because we want the games fair and honest. The attorney general spent years investigating, but didn't move the needle forward. In Iowa, you have four years to charge someone suspected of fraud before the case is dropped. Terry had only three months left to find this person before the statute of limitations would run out. Well, the attorney general that was working on the case retired. 
So he handed the uh, file off to a young white-collar crime attorney general named Rob Sand, who's now the current auditor of the state of Iowa, and uh, said, hey, this is kind of a fun case, but we haven't figured this out. So we got together with Rob, and he looked it over, and he said, well, you've done all the investigation. This is about to expire. Last thing we can do is, is let's release the videotape from the store. Now, so far, the only people who have seen the tape are Terry and his team. If they release the security footage, a member of the public might recognize the guy on camera or maybe his voice. At the time, there were only three stores out of the 2,400 that sold hot lotto tickets that had both audio and videotapes, and this was one of them. How crazy is that? It's kind of hard to hear, but that's the voice of this mysterious hooded gentleman. The lottery set up a tip hotline. Terry and his team received 20-odd tips, but there was one that really stood out. It was from one of the lottery employees. The call was coming from inside the house. It came way up in, I think, Massachusetts or Maryland or up, up in the Northeast anyway from an employee. said, hey, wait a minute. I think that's Eddie Tipton. What? Eddie Tipton? Eddie Tipton was the head of security for the multi-state lottery. You gotta be kidding me. You can't make this stuff up. So the guy who bought that winning ticket could also be the same guy who wrote the code that draws the winning numbers and oversees the maintenance of that code? Sounds like the perfect crime to me. I knew him because I was on the board of directors and he would come in and tell us what we should do for security, which was ironic. I think he was a pretty hard worker. I think he was very smart in the, in the programming and smart enough to try to figure out how he could do this and, and get by with it. Well, now we know why the guy on camera wanted to be anonymous and why his face was covered in the security tape. It's really nothing but a lucky chance that the convenience store security had audio. If Eddie had walked into almost any other shop, his identity might have remained a mystery. But it was the audio that everybody said, wait a minute, uh, I know that's Eddie Tipton. He has that Southern draw. He's from Texas. Southern draw from Texas. Can't hide that. And people were shocked. Eddie had worked with the American Lottery Authority for seven years, and he was someone his colleagues trusted. He seemed devoted to his job, put in 60 or 80 hours a week, even on vacation. He'd be in the office until 11 p.m. every night. It seemed really unlikely, unless we recognized what he was doing with them extra hours. But there was also this entirely different lead. All those lawyers who originally had the serial number and winning ticket, they had said their client's name was Robert Rhodes. So who the hell is Robert Rhodes? Terry did a little online detective work. As it turns out, it didn't take long to connect Eddie Tipton to Robert Rhodes. So I looked on LinkedIn, and I found Robert Rhodes, and we cross-looked at it and said, oh, my God, Eddie was the COO of a company called Systems Evolution Inc. when Robert Rhodes was the CEO for six years, and that was right before Eddie went to work for this organization. Wow. Wow, indeed. Turns out, Eddie Tipton had bought the ticket while working in Iowa, then headed for his home in Texas and gave the ticket to Robert Rhodes to hold on to. Eddie told Robert that if he won, 
Robert would get a cut. When the jackpot was revealed, Robert contacted his lawyer to try and cash the ticket. Robert's lawyer contacted Philip Johnston in Canada. What they thought was a foolproof plan had completely blown up. And once things started heating up, Eddie tried to cover his tracks. Once we began this investigation, we were very public. Eddie was smart enough to go to his boss and say, hey, we really should change out this computer and update because this is an old computer, doesn't run as fast, it isn't drawing these numbers as quickly as it should. And so he got a new computer and wiped the computer that drew this hot lotto game. Nope, it was too late. The detective chief inspector had already decided that even though there wasn't hard evidence, it all seemed just a little too coincidental. I mean, the guy who programmed the computer code his voice is caught on camera buying a lottery ticket, and his friend just happened to be the one to claim the winning ticket. Then when people start asking questions, he just backs out without a reason. Nah, I'm not buying it. And one day before the statute of limitations were due to expire, Eddie Tempton and Robert Rhodes were charged with fraud. But it wasn't until the trial began that Terry learned what Eddie had accomplished was far bigger than he'd ever imagined. That's after the break. Six months after Eddie Tempton and Robert Rhodes were arrested, the case went to trial, and it wasn't looking good. Eddie was convicted on two counts of fraud and sentenced to 10 years in prison. Now, that could have been where this story ends, you know, case closed. But it turns out a much larger scheme was also happening. At the trial, Eddie's lawyer decides that they needed somebody that could be a character witness. So they called Eddie's brother, Tommy Tempton, to the stand. Tommy was a part-time justice of the peace officer. So he seemed like the perfect person to testify. But when Tommy got to the stand, he says something that would take this regional story into the national headlines. He got on the stand and said, you know what, that can't be my brother on that, that uh, tape. He said, uh, that guy bought two hot dogs. My brother don't eat hot dogs. And he heard kind of a chuckle, but an Associated Press reporter saw that and thought, man, this is a great lead story. So here's this guy in the courtroom trying to defend fraud by saying his brother don't eat hot dogs. Of course, a reporter covering the trial for the Associated Press is going to write about this hot dog defense and the moment of levity it created in the courtroom. And with one newswire story, the Iowa hot lotto scandal was in local newspapers across the country, including in Tommy's hometown, where an FBI agent read the story and recognized Tommy's face from an old money laundering investigation. So that... FBI agent was smart enough, after 10 years, to see that story, to call up to Rob Sand, or prosecutor, and say, hey, he might want to check his brother out. The FBI agent had investigated Tommy in 2005 after he tried to defraud the Colorado jackpot with a friend named Alexander Hicks. Alexander Hicks uh, won the jackpot, kept 10%, gave the rest to Tommy in $100 bills, but they were in sequential order. Tommy saw that and realized that it would raise suspicion if someone caught him with thousands of dollars of sequential bills. See, sequential bills are far easier to trace. So he decided to try and launder it. So he went to a fireworks dealer 
and ask them to exchange some, some money. And lo and behold, the fireworks dealer called the FBI and said, I, this guy might be doing money laundering. And so uh, that's how the FBI got involved. Back then, Tommy told the FBI that he was trying to hide his lottery winnings from his wife because gambling was against their faith. The FBI bought his story and dropped their inquiry. But now they wanted to look into it again. So we know that there were three dudes in on this. Eddie Tempton, Robert Rhodes, and Tommy Tempton. The investigation was back on, and the Iowa Supreme Court overturned Eddie's conviction. They called us and said, hey, we want you to call all the lotteries and get all the winners. And almost all of the lotteries sent us all the winners over $500 or more. And we've got all of the contact names in their social media and all the contact names in all of their cell phones. Let's see if anything correlates. Ding, ding, ding. When Terry Rich and his team started digging, they found out that this scam went far wider than Iowa. Between Eddie Tempton, his brother Tommy, and his friend Robert Rhodes, the three men claimed winnings in Colorado, Kansas, Wisconsin, and Oklahoma, on top of the $16.5 million hot lotto ticket. Eddie Tempton, a man who was head of security, had been rigging the system for years. In August of 2017, all three were charged with fraud. The first one he did was Colorado, smaller jackpot, and he just kept getting bigger and bigger and had other people doing it until ultimately he got greedy and he went after it himself. You see, you cheat and win a little bit, you get greedy. Then you start to get cocky. And when you get cocky, you're probably going to get caught. But the crazy thing about all their winnings was that they took place on the same day and month. Just the years were different. The odds of that are absolutely astronomical. Okay, so here's how he did it. Eddie programmed a code that only worked on three specific dates. One in November, one in December, and one in May. All three dates correlated to holidays. Prosecutors alleged that Eddie used the holidays to travel and buy tickets without being noticed. He was in Iowa. He went home to Texas. He said, I was nowhere near that computer. And that was his big argument during the trial. It also had to be on a Wednesday or Saturday, and it had to be after 8 p.m. Central Time. If all of those came together one day a year, he could predict a combination of numbers down to 200. So you think about this. He probably 10, 10 million combinations at the time for hot lotto. He could predict down to 200. So he had an additional computer with the same thing next to his desk, and he had a yellow piece of paper. He could write all these combinations down, then he would give it to his brother or give it to his best friend, and they would go out and play. And they would play those numbers, and that's that's how the smoking gun worked. Eddie, Tommy, and Robert had cheated the system and claimed over $8 million. But it would have been a lot more had they not been caught. The three guys pled guilty. Robert Rhodes said, I'll tell you, uh, you know, it's up, we did it. Um, and I confess, I'll plead guilty, but I want to reduce sentence. So they went to Eddie and Tommy, and Eddie and Tommy said, uh, okay, yeah, you got us. Um, we'll plead guilty, but Eddie, in his nice way, said, I want uh, Tommy to get a lesser sentence because he's got kids, and I'll take the rap because I don't have family. Robert Rhodes spent two years on probation and paid restitution to the states where he got tickets. 
Tommy Tempton got 52 days in jail, and he also had to pay restitution. But what about Eddie? Well, he got 25 years for the largest lottery scam in U.S. history. After five years, he was released on parole. The Iowa Lottery then holds yet another press conference to break the news. Now, this was truly the end of the chapter. We're disappointed to learn that someone who has worked as a vendor for the Iowa Lottery has been charged in this case. At the same time, we're gratified that the thorough procedures and protocols we've developed to protect the security and integrity of our games worked to prevent the payment of a disputed prize. This truly is one of the strangest situations in the history of lotteries. We believe this is the largest lottery jackpot ever to be claimed, only to have that claim withdrawn. It was the right thing for a lottery to refuse to pay this jackpot prize unless or until basic security questions about it could be answered, and they never were. We all know there will always be people who try to beat the system. We have and will continue to update our security procedures as we identify vulnerabilities to protect against them. You all have heard the saying, your character is determined by what you do when no one's watching. No one watched Eddie and look what he was doing for all those years. So here's the question. What would it take for you to do what he did? There doesn't seem to be a clear motive here or need. It's not like Eddie had a family or anyone to provide for, and he wasn't about to lose his home. It seems like he did this, as far as we know, because he could. Now look, Eddie tried to protect his brother from a harsher sentence by taking the bulk of the blame. So greedy, yes, he was, but clearly not entirely selfish. A lot of us have thought about playing the lottery, but even if we don't, most of us have imagined what we would do with the money if we ever want it. We all have financial needs. Rent, medical bills, children to feed, school tuitions, a mortgage to pay. And on top of that, we've got dreams and desires. Maybe a nice vacation, a new car, bigger house. And even if you're not trying to be an Elon Musk or a Bill Gates or somebody like that, it still would be nice if life were just a little easier. And money goes a long way to make life a little easier. With the internet and social media, it seems like everybody is living a better and easier life than you are. So think about what you do in the same situation. Let's say you have this demanding job that day after day takes so much from you. You start to feel like you may be owed something. And then just every once in a while, you do something to get yours. For most people, it's something small, like taking home extra office supplies or skipping out of work an hour early. But if you were around this much money, wouldn't you also feel tempted to try to get a little bit for yourself? I mean, after all, it's not hurting anybody. And you earned it. Or at least you think you did. So if you're able to satisfy all of your needs and all of your wants, would you be compelled to commit fraud? especially if you think the chances of you getting caught were slim, what would you do if you were in Eddie's seat and no one was watching? Hey folks, thanks for listening. 
Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like Cheat, but better. It's just $2.99 a month, or if you're in the UK, £2.49. And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free now. Next time on Cheat. Once that happened, the whole scale of Operation Snow White began to reveal itself. And you can imagine the government's reaction. <laughs> They've been spied upon for years in their highest, most secure organizations. You know, all of their secrecy had been compromised. And so, yes, the government was ready to do something about it. Cheat is presented by me, Alzo Slade. This episode was produced by Olivia Cope. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The series editor is Megan Dietrich. The original idea for the show was developed by Tom Fuller. Mixing and scoring by Martin Peralta at Output Media. Special thanks to the Sony legal team. Our production coordinators are Jennifer Mystery and Iker Egbatola.